0: Welcome to a new episode of the Animal Liberation Hour, where we seek insight from animal rights and liberation activists around the world so that we can think, reflect, learn, and be inspired together. My name is Shreya, and this is the Animal Liberation Hour. This podcast is brought to you by Animal Activism Mentorship. AAM's mission is to grow and strengthen the animal rights movement by providing a space for activists to have access to a community and various educational resources. From one-on-one mentorship, to free workshops and trainings, to this podcast, AAM aims to empower humans to take action for the animals so that we can create a kind, just, and equitable world for all creatures. For more information, visit AnimalActivismMentorship.com or our link tree, which you can find in the show notes. There, you can sign up for a free mentor, keep up with all things AAM, and donate so that we can continue this important work for the animals. Today, I will be speaking with an inspiring activist from Chennai, the capital of the state of Tamil Nadu in India. Samaran Tamare is a true force for the animals. Immediately after going vegan six years ago, he realized that personal change was not enough and he had to use his voice and be active for the animals. Since then, he has been an active participant in many rescues, outreach initiatives, protests, marches, university events, and educational lectures. He has appeared on various mainstream platforms such as TV appearances, radio shows, and podcast interviews to spread the message of animal liberation in the community. He does all this and more for the animals while also being in his final year of his computer engineering degree. Samaran heads the Chennai-based organization LIFE, Liberation and Independence for Earthlings. I am so thrilled to bring you the remarkable, brilliant, articulate, Samaran Tamare. Samaran Tamare, thank you for taking the time to join us for the Animal Liberation Hour. It's such an honor to finally get to talk to you today.
1: The honor is all mine.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I know you're based in the southern part of India, Chennai, where I also have some roots in my family's from there. So knowing that there that you are a part of a community that is doing vegan and animal rights and animal liberation activism, it it it's so special to me because it's not something that I necessarily saw during my time there. So I I'm still very grateful to be able to see all the work that's happening, even though um, I'm like halfway across the globe. So thank you for doing all that you're doing. So I like to start by talking about your story, what inspired you to go uh, vegan and where your animal rights uh, inspiration began.
1: Yeah, so that's an interesting one. When I first heard the word vegan, all I thought was, damn, that's extreme. (laughs) I mean, I'm vegetarian. That should be enough. Who who doesn't eat dairy? That's extreme. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. But then I've always been a vegetarian since birth for ethical reasons. And the primary difference between me and other kids that I grew up with, I would say is that I had a little awareness that the cats and dogs that we are taught to love are not very different from the chickens, cows, goats and pigs that we eat i was taught to view all animals equally in my family mm-hmm. and that made me be a vegetarian for like 15 years of my life and then at some point someone told me that the dairy industry is equally cruel and that milk is not as non-violent as you think i, I didn't buy it at first but then i did my own research and i was shocked by what i found out how much cows are exploited for dairy i went to my mom Fifteen year old me, I went to my mom, I told "Uh, since we talk so much for animals, we speak up for animals so much, we rescue dogs and cats. Should we stop consuming milk? I mean, it is equally unethical. And my mom's reply was that it might be true, but we are in India. Indians do not treat their cows that way. It's all Western and here government regulations make sure that cows are treated properly. And not drinking milk is not practical. That's what she told me. And I mean, I was 16 at the time. I just bought it. if mom tells me, then it should be right. Yeah. So I just left it off there. I continued being a vegetarian for one week. <laughs> and seven days later, on a fine Sunday afternoon, I was just reading a book on the couch. My mom came from her room. She asked me, Samaran, I did my research. I think you were right about dairy. Do you think we should go vegan? And I took like two seconds to think if I will miss Domino's Pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's go vegan. I made the choice. But that instant. And since then, that second, both mom and I have been vegan. And it's been like six years, I guess.
0: Wow. That is so fascinating. And I love that story. And that it just took you two seconds to weigh the importance the well-being of the cows are my Dominic's pizza so that's yeah and, uh, I, and I like that you acknowledge that too because sometimes the messaging can be very oh like you are you're not putting your you, you shouldn't be putting your taste buds and your pleasure and which is true like we shouldn't be putting that over the well-being of others but in that that I think that's just a moment of humanity that you expressed there that, oh, that's something that I really like to do. But then but do I want another being to have to suffer for that? And you didn't even think about
1: the your
0: vegan cheese. Can I like get yeah, like you just went straight for it and that you inspired your mom and got her to think about it too
1: and ironically i didn't even know vegan substitutes i didn't even know other vegans exist when i went vegan yeah so i thought i was the only one till i met other actors
0: that wow and this was all um in the area like the city that you were living in you met more vegans
1: there yeah yeah. i've been i've been in Chennai since i was born it's been like 20 21 years and i didn't know that there were actually other vegans in india I thought it was some foreign thing where there are a lot of vegans in foreign, but India, no chance. That's what I thought. Yeah. And then, the, yeah. as soon well as I went vegan, the connection just happens, you know. Sure. We start looking for people, then Facebook slowly recommends people in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes. And we say, oh, you're vegan too. Me too. Oh, but yeah. you're not alone.
0: Yeah. I know. I mean, sometimes yeah. the algorithms yeah. can be used for good. Like it'll be like, it's like you're not like definitely. vegan people. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Because I think even, after I moved back to the U.S., I think um, I didn't. I was I was also very surprised to see a pretty prominent animal rights community in India. Like I, maybe I would see some um, content from, like, say Mumbai or like Bangalore or something like that. But then to see, because again, I was not something that I was exposed to. And maybe you know, it's it's a similar thing. It's like then. You start seeking out community and then you find them and you know that we're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So you talked a bit about your vegetarianism being rooted in, you know, treating other animals equally. And something that I'm also aware of, and I think you might have a lot more awareness about other injustices in India, like the caste system and hierarchical structures that dictate who is worthy enough of consuming a vegetarian diet and removing the human supremacy from that and centering the well-being of animals and saying not eating animals is in their best interest. It has nothing to do with where you are in the caste rank. Um, Is that something that you have thought about, talked about, um, are willing
1: to speak to? I was an ethical vegetarian and the emphasis is on ethical not vegetarian because not every vegetarian is vegetarian for ethical reasons they're vegetarian for mostly religious reasons Mm -hmm. because their family is vegetarian for because their religion tells them to and it's not just it's about one community we have lines where one person is considered to be a good person in his community if he follows certain rules Right. right so Yeah, so certain communities like that promote vegetarianism from a religious point of view. So that's when it happens, cows are holy, don't kill them. So it's not about animal rights, but I think that's a form of commodification of animals as well. Veganism should also be against including animals as part of religion or culture. I think it's still part of the root cause. It's not just about demand for animal products but the way we view, we view animals themselves, right. right? So, I think ethical veganism, when I say ethical vegetarian, it is completely centered around the animal's right to live, free from harm, and not what my ancestors told me or what my scriptures told me. So, if I asked a Muslim, um, would you be comfortable, Would you, would you feel okay imposing your religion on me? They would say no, even though they believe staunchly in their religion. Let us assume I'm a Hindu and I tell you, can I uh, I want to post my religion on you. My God, God told us, My scripture say this. No one would agree. We want tolerance, religious tolerance, right? So if I ask someone, what religion does a cow or a pig or a goat belong to? Is a chicken a Muslim, a Hindu, a Christian? No, they don't even know what religion is. So, if you can see the logic behind this, we don't feel comfortable forcing religion on a human who understands what religion is, the emotions of the other person, and we still wouldn't do it. But we feel fine forcing animals to die in the name of religion. And the opposite is commodification as well. Relatively, stealing an animal in the name of religion is the same. Yeah. It's not actual empathy for the animal. It is more about feeling comfortable with our own religion. You can follow your religion. You can follow your customs. But when an animal is being used in the process, it is not a personal choice anymore. It is not about just your religion anymore. Your religion is being imposed on someone else. Right, right. Is that not something we all stand against?
0: Yeah.
1: So, wow. yeah.
0: That That's a very, very beautifully thought out answer. And, you know, I have... Watched several of your interviews that you post, and you know the the whether it's on TV or whether it's um, your speeches that you give at universities, which of course we'll talk about later on in this interview. That you are very good about keeping the logic at the core, but also not coming across as judgmental, or you know, just being very clear and how you communicate that. So is, and is that, because I think it's easy for us to get frustrated, you know, when people bring out the usual excuse, that what about plants? Like, plants have feelings too. Or what about like this person? Like, they're, they're either trying to mess with us or they're trying to use other injustices or other marginalized communities as an excuse for them not being, you know, not adopting a vegan lifestyle. Like they will say, Oh, what about folks who can't afford X, Y, Z or don't have access to X, Y, Z? And then so we have to deal with those arguments on a daily basis for the most part. So how did you develop, uh, you know, a sense of calm? You know, because when I see your, your, your talks, you just seem you're like, Chennai's earthling, Ed, if I may say so myself. You're just supposed so
1: <laughs> uh, Someone had told me that before,
0: yeah. Oh, wow, yeah.
1: So, but but uh, I assure you, there have been times where I've lost my cool. There have been times where I had to scream at the other people <laughs> who,
2: yeah.
1: and animals. But for most of the times, I have learned to be composed. And I know what works with who. And I don't waste my time on people who would actually get me triggered. Yeah. If they're going to trigger me, then they're not going to achieve anything at all. I would rather spend that time with someone who would actually listen. Right. So I just avoid conversations that are triggering
2: <laughs> Yeah.
1: That's my time. But um I've been doing this for six years now and I think I'm well equipped like, with mm-hmm. my points and it's the same thing we hear all over against It's the same five excuses. So
2: yeah. Yeah. we
1: should be able to deal with it right now. And veganism, vegan activism, all of these evolve with practice.
2: Sure.
1: I, my view and my entire perception on veganism would have been different on day one from how it is now. Right. Today, I view it as a completely social justice movement. Yeah. Something um, progressive for the society and not as something that is born out of kindness, compassion. So that's what it used to be. I used to pity animals. I used to feel bad for them I used to ask people please don't do this
2: hmm. now
1: my position is more of a ethical stance where you it is a moral obligation there is no excuse out of this we have to change this will maybe happen in 400-500 years but we have to start today and there is no reason for you to not be doing it animals yeah. are suffering because of it and by your own morals everyone believes in nonviolence everyone thinks sexual harassment is wrong, everyone thinks bullying is wrong, everyone thinks terrorism is wrong, Mm -hmm. then why exactly is it okay when the victim is an non-human animal? Mm -hmm. So my perception of veganism has evolved from kindness, compassion to social justice. justice. And uh, when you get that kind of clarity, your uh, arguments automatically become smart as well. You automatically know what's the right point I don't wait around the bush. I don't talk about the environment. I don't go to the health. I do not pull every trick in my sleeve to make them go vegan. I just tell them what is necessary about speciesism. Mm-hmm. And it just goes fine. As long as uh, we have the clarity of what we are thinking about, I think right. it should be fine.
0: Right, absolutely. And I, that's a great point because, because then... The message gets diluted, and um, I had a conversation with another incredible activist, Dr. Faraz Harsini, who was also on the podcast. Mm. And that's something that he said too: that the the approach evolved, like when you would do these cube of truth, um, and they where they show footage and they do outreach that. Once you want to send that social justice message, you focus on those important points rather than as you described, spend time trying to convince somebody to try a specific brand of vegan cheese. You know, we you you start centering the victims and not the pleasure of the person who, you know, you're trying to do advocacy um towards. So that's a great-
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, We owe that to the animals. It's like disrespecting the victim if Mm we go off topic and tell them, you have vegan cheese, you can be vegan. (laughs) That's not the point. I didn't know that vegan cheese existed when I went vegan. That's not the point.
0: You started doing activism as soon as you decided to adopt a vegan way of life in your personal life. So what inspired you to not just leave being vegan as like, this is just something that I am doing, but Mm. actually become active?
1: Yeah. So after I went vegan, uh, a few months later, we attended a vegan potluck in Chennai. I was very excited about it to meet other vegans. Mm. And they were not the people I was expecting to meet. I thought they would be like very kind people to animals. And that's it. But no, I met hardcore activists who are very passionate about the moment and their passion was very inspiring. I was very, uh, it was very intriguing to hear about them, how they do events on Sunday, Mm -hmm. their methods of activism like Cube of Truth, the Blender Challenge, Mm -hmm. Uh, I was very excited. Then they invited me to join them one day and I was a little reluctant at first, I was like, "Um, I'll try and they kept insisting, they said, I'll pick you up, I'll drop you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, start doing more offers to make it convenient. Yeah. And I just said, yeah, okay, I'll just come. And I attended my first outreach at a mall in Chennai. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, that was the most empowering experience in my life. Yeah. I can see that when a uh, passerby comes and the activists talk to them, I can see hope in their eyes. They're like, why did no one tell me this before? They didn't know all this is happening. Yeah. Or at least they did not think about it the way we activists do. I think everyone deserves to know the information, at least get the information. We're being lied to, right? We don't have uh, advertisements of chickens getting slaughtered. Sure. We don't have advertisements of cows getting artificially inseminated. We are shown advertisements of chickens showing thumbs up. Yes. We are shown advertisements of cows running in imaginary grass fields. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's not the truth. If you had marketed the truth to children, I can snap my finger at any industry and challenge them. You will go down. No one will buy your product if you show them the truth. So that is definitely something unethical if you have to hide what you're actually selling. If you have to lie to your customers, right? So I think everyone deserves to know the truth. Even if I tell, let's say, a million people the truth and one person changes, then I think it still has to be done because I was that one in a million. I am very grateful someone told me, right?
2: Yeah.
1: I only went vegan because someone told me this happens in the dairy industry. That the dairy industry did not tell me. Yeah. That my parents did not tell me. That the school did not tell me. The society did not tell me. The advertisers, none of them told me. Some stranger told me. Yeah. And I took that in. So I think it's my moral duty to get this message out to as many people as possible. And even if one person decides to make the change, that's a huge win-win for the animals. We can actually animal liberation one vegan at a time.
0: Right? Oh, as much as we would just like to have it like just happen at an instant because we also think about the scale of the injustice, the number of animals and, and then it's like, oh, do we have to wait for like, it, it's sure. like oh no, it's like one oh. person at a time. It's going to take forever. But then it depends. You could change the right one person, and then who well, no, knows? Like maybe that person is in a position of power to change an entire business model or introduce legislation. So you never know. Um, of course, we're trying to maximize our impact, but um, yeah, and I think that's something that I also do struggle with is balancing people's individual journey. Mm. And it's like, oh, like meet people where they are and I I find it uncomfortable to meet somebody Mm. when they are not viewing these animals in the way that I'm viewing them so it's like how do I get there how how do I get because sure maybe I was there once upon a time um, or maybe I would just ignore that that issue exists like yes I was raised vegetarian I was but to me it was about but I I think I resonated with the animal rights message a lot. And I, it took... So we had a foster cat when I was in Chennai one summer, and then we ended up adopting her, and we brought her back to the U.S. with us. And I saw a footage of a cow being mistreated for her, you know, lactation. And for me, it was that instant of thinking of Ginger, the cat having to experience that is what was like, okay, I can't ignore this anymore. Because I did the whole, let me look for the cage-free eggs. Let me look for, you know, the best kind of milk that I could find. And I mean, I wasn't as much into dairy, but and I was the only one in my family who was eating eggs. But I did the whole humane washing thing. But it took seeing this creature whom I just... Love so deeply and respect so deeply, and I think that's something that I try to hone in. You don't have to love every single creature, you should just respect them. I don't love every yeah. single person, I find some dogs really annoying. Like, I love my dog, but maybe some other person's dog, I'm like, that dog is annoying, but I can still respect their light, their right to exist um, without any harm and free from so. Yeah, I think that's the important message once you start viewing it as a social justice thing. We're not saying that you have to love and be kind and compassionate towards every single person, but you can respect them. It's literally a lit and let live situation because when people who are not vegan say, just live and let live, it's like that's exactly what being vegan means. You are letting others live their lives even though they're not.
1: Exactly. So. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from your experience, you know, navigating this whole space, um, who are some mentors who have inspired you, continue to inspire you? And what kind of mentor do you aspire to be to future activists?
1: So I basically watch all activists from across the globe, as many of them, and I take all the good points out of them. Let's say Earthling Edge, Calm and Coolness. That's really his gem. And then Gary Yorofsky's way of speaking, way of delivering the message to students. And I think Gary Yorofsky actually inspired me to go out there and talk to lots and lots of people. I mean, when I see him on stage, there are so many students throwing so many arguments at him, but he tackles each and every one so diplomatically Mm -hmm. and with so much statistics and facts. They themselves feel, yeah, he's right. All the students yeah. in the... He, make, he uses their own points to make them feel how dumb they just sounded. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I I kind of take that from him. And I definitely like uh, Joey Carpstone's way of going on, on the streets and just talking to anyone. And people literally throw food at him. Yeah, I once saw a video of someone throwing a fish at Joey. And he called them and he made a conversation. He talked mm-hmm. to them about why they threw the fish. And then he brought it to animal rights Mm -hmm. and that was really nice so i think i'm building myself with all these fragments i collect from various actors um and there are a lot of actors in india as well who are equally inspiring they may not be out there on youtube for the world to watch but Mm -hmm. yeah i refer to lots and lots of actors the kind of actors that i would like to be as a mentor to others um i'd like to be a proper social justice activist for animal mm-hmm. rights i want them to view animal rights the way i do which is i would do anything for animal liberation i understand this is not easy this is not something i do for time pass <laughs> animal liberation should be treated the same way all other social injustices are treated right. in order to attain we might have to fight for it harder we might have to get we might get hit by someone. We might be sent to jail. We might die in the process. Anything could happen. It's a social justice moment, And we are against literally the entire world. Mm-hmm. So I'm prepared for that. And if you keep your mindset that way, I don't think any can anything can stop you as an
0: activist. Yeah. I, I like that. She's like, we might die, but then everything can still keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so, um, and from... You touched on, you know, the inspire the inspiration you gather from across the globe and also within India. And so, how has how do you feel um, uh, the efficacy is from your approach with the different demographics that you do interact with? In because you are likely interacting with folks who are also operating within this assumption that oh we treat our cows well, we treat our animals well, like this is all a Western issue. So that might be a little different from what folks in other countries, activists in other countries have to address. So what ha- what do you think has been more effective um, in these demographics that you are in, um, communicating with on a regular basis?
1: Yeah, so that is definitely uh, something we have to deal with and it's very annoying. In mm-hmm. India, we have uh, people all over having cows at their own backyard as soon as we say dairy so, well, exactly um exactly. everyone has a cow in their house seems, <laughs> and they don't sell their calves to slaughter they just keep them for twenty five years feed them even though it's not profitable they don't care they just yeah. um they feed, feed the, the babies before, the before
0: taking the milk yeah
1: <laughs> exactly the cow they only oh they're only helping the cow by doing. They're not right. actually taking the milk for themselves. They're just doing it so that they can help the cow so that she doesn't get her adults filled. Right. Up she's so
0: it. helpless that she needs humans to go and interfere and in help.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then the cow did not get pregnant by hers. Um, was not pregnant by any artificial means. She found a maid, she got married, she settled down, <laughs> and then had a kid. And yeah, then, yeah they just took the leftover yeah. milk. So that, that is exactly what happens in their point of view. And <laughs> most of the times when you question them process by process, step by step, like, so how many cows do you have? Mm-hmm. So do you keep all your male cows? So how many do, do you have right now? Do you understand that this will mean that you have an exponentially large, the number is growing exponentially over the years if you don't sell them and you just want the milk. So at the end, it is possible, but it is still, it won't be profitable. Mm-hmm. So, do you think it is practical to follow Ahimsa milk for the entire population of India? And this is actually a very interesting statistic that I put up, good that I put forth. Mm-hmm. The population of India is currently the highest in the world, which is 1.4 billion. Yeah, wow. We just overtook to China. China wow. Yeah. And the number of cows and buffaloes we have in India for dairy is like, Three hundred million, if I'm not wrong. So that's like America,
0: the population of the US.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we are like ten times more compared yeah. to the cows in our country. Yeah. We want to provide the entire country. And you know what? India is the largest producer and consumer of dairy. We yeah. produce
0: and exporting cheese, broccoli,
1: leather. Honey, cheese, and leather. All yeah. of these dairy products for one point four billion people. Do you think that is possible by not being cruel to cows, just keeping them in their backyard and taking excess milk? Well, that's not what happens. You're just lying to yourself. Yeah. But then I also want to touch on the other point. It does not matter, even if the cow is treated with zero cruelty. Let us say, let us assume that is a place where I can't complain about anything. You don't tie your cows up. You feed them really good food all cows are taken care of, the bulls are kept, you don't artificially inseminate. there is no one thing a vegan can complain about. So what I tell the person, as a person, I'm glad that you treat your animals well, but as an animal rights activist who is trying to abolish the root cause, I cannot support this because whenever you take milk, you're not harming your cow yourself, but you're still contributing to that demand. The idea that Humans can take the milk of cows, Mm -hmm. which is how it all started and see where we are. You may not be harming your own cow, but you're not helping change the situation for every other cow on the planet. Exactly. So it's a matter of feeling comfortable with your actions at any given point of time or wanting to liberate animals and obtain their rights they deserve.
0: Because they're being commodified at the end of the day. They're still viewed as what What do they have to offer us as opposed to what do they have to live their own, you know, own exactly. lives. Yeah, and I think that's very similar to the back, like, quote-unquote, backyard hen issue in the West where people, it's, it immediately becomes, oh, like, my hen, I'd, like, raise my hens and we take their eggs, they overproduce. Eggs. And then again, it's like going back to the root. Like first off, they likely came from the same hatcheries that all of these other hens who have been bred to overproduce eggs. They're producing an unnaturally high amount of eggs. It's debilitating on their body. So even though like they have a pretty backyard, they're still viewed as living beings from whom we can take something. And
2: exactly.
0: yeah, again, that's exactly how it started here too, with the whole egg issue and the chicken. Exactly. Issue. Like it starts in a very beautiful backyard and then look what happens.
1: We, we can easily look at history schools. I'm sure back in the times of hundred years, two hundred years, three hundred years before in India, before the white revolution, mm-hmm. where in Krishna's times maybe even you yeah. can do that far People people had cows in their uh, homes they just took the milk they probably did not intend any cruelty on the cow and it was uh, everywhere everyone had cows but they are not selling the milk they were just having it for themselves probably but that is how it has come to this point we yeah. started there I clearly can see how it took its course exactly. now the only way to solve the problem today is by completely boycotting every animal product yeah. not by being selectively Mm. Boycotting it, we, we they want lib. Uh, welfare animals need a liberation.
0: Oh. Else. Wow, I that needs to be on us, yes. sure. I love that. The only welfare is yes. liberation, so beautiful. And can you briefly explain and, what mm-hmm. the white revolution is for those who might not know?
1: So, before pasteurization, milk was not something that could be stored for prolonged periods of time. You would have to consume it as soon as it was out of the other. Yeah. Uh, but during World War One, there was a immediate need for people for the soldiers who were traveling to have milk with them. They had to consume milk, but they can't take cows with them to you sure. know milk yeah. them and yeah, it's it's a war space. What do you expect? Yeah. So after pasteurization and powdered milk came up where people can make it portable. Right, right, they right. can take it with them. Just add water, do it. And suddenly milk was way too accessible. Hmm. Everyone can access milk and it bloomed into an entire industry. Right. Today I can't have five cows in my house for, you know, just for having dairy. I can't even keep two cats at the same time. <laughs> so five cows is not
2: right. going to be
1: practical. So so what happens here, if you observe, I'm paying someone. So we what you do, you just rear cows, take their milk and give me. I'll pay you for that. You have a business. I get what I want. Yeah. I don't have to spend my time with cows. I can focus on other parts of my life. This is what has happened. And this has given birth to the industry called dairy industry. And the problem that comes with it is that the dairy industry machines are cows. Right. And they're not machines. They're sentient beings. Yeah. So we have converted them from sentient beings to machines. Mm -hmm. And when it is an industry, obviously the industry's goal is to get maximum profit. Right. And in the process of getting maximum profit, they do not have the time or the privilege to care about the animal's welfare or rights.
2: Correct.
1: So, as you mentioned, India is also among the top three in terms of leather export and top the second top second, if I'm not wrong, first is Brazil, and the second should be India in yeah. terms of beef export. They're not different animals. Yeah. Every cow used for the dairy in the dairy industry ends up in the slaughterhouse. Yeah. So the, I the, we have to be unapologetic an and just tell them that all animal use is animal abuse. Yeah. And if you truly want animals to get the rights they deserve, just go vegan. Stop making excuses. Yeah. You can keep your cows without milking them. Yeah yeah for sure and and then and then in India there's the concept of goshalas where Mm
2: -hmm. those
1: are kept uh, very very safely they're well taken care of and but they still take the milk and sell it so there are a few goshalas that do not do that as well I mean there are vegan sanctuaries that definitely don't do that but then there are goshalas which sell the milk and uh, the thing with goshalas is that there are a few types of goshalas, mm-hmm. that it's really hard to figure out which one is it. So in Hinduism, the cow is holy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. But the buffalos aren't. Uh-huh. So yeah. they just take the cows in, not the buffalos. the buffaloes. Which is, yeah, just speciesism and more yeah. like racism among bovines. Racism so <laughs> <so>, among bovines. <laughs> That's it's, it's just not fair and... The cows that are actually, I attended a case. I, uh, I went to a district in Tamil Nadu called Viruputam mm. where I got a complaint saying that a lot of cows in the Goshala were dying. But it turned out they were starving the cows to death and they were being sent for slaughter. Okay, sure. So they were sending cows to wow. the butcher shop from Goshala. Goshala. Oh, and people still believe that. Goshalas take good care of cows. Yeah. Things you never know. We never know. I'm not generalizing. All goshalas mm-hmm. are like this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it has happened, and there is no guarantee that it won't happen again.
2: Right. Because
1: goshala that sell milk is nothing but a dairy farm. Correct. There okay. is no. Yeah, a goshala. Don't please don't call it a goshala. It's a dairy farm if you are selling the milk. Right. So, right. There is a fundamental problem in the way we view animals and selectively viewing animals as, you know, to be taken care of, to be saved from harm. And even in that, you feel you don't actually see the problem. The ent- You're saving cows from an industry that you're still funding. Mm. It's not helping anyone at all. We are in a circle here. The only way to break this circle is boycotting all animals.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so you touched upon a lot of really great points as to what makes some of these issues different in in India. And so can you also speak on the differences between what the animal liberation movement looks like in um, India? I know, and within India, there's so much difference as well. But what is it when compared to how, when, you know, we see in the West, like, what does it look like in in India? Are there particular um, approaches that are more, uh, mm. more prominent? Like, I see very similar um, actions, like sh- showing footage on public transit. I see, you know, the outreach. So, a lot of similar things, but also, I, I'd be curious if you can speak on your thoughts on any of the differences that... Um, in
1: the animal liberation? So, the differences wouldn't be in the approach itself, but in the opposition. The mm-hmm. uh, things they have to deal with are actually different. Everything is easily politicized and commercialized and veganism is given a uh, color of caste in India. So it's easily associated with uh, other problems that go on. We basically the people dilute it into a human centric issue yeah and then the artists to deal with everyone gets fired up because they they want to speak up for the rights of humans and in india people the truth is people think veganism is oppressive which is exactly the opposite of what it exactly. is yeah. people think veganism is oppressive and they think it is uh more like brahmanism brahmanic yeah. Vegetarianism—that's what they equated to, even though they are completely different. And we as activists have an additional responsibility to get the message across without, you know, making it seem like they are the same. Even when the other person brings it up, you have to make sure that the message is clearly delivered. Mm -hmm. We are not promoting vegetarianism, nor are we doing it from any religious point of view. And actually, seen a few acts make that mistake like sometimes they go with the religion side yeah. in order to convince the other person they say in hinduism cow is holy why do you want to treat holy cow this way dairy is through so that's not a point i would usually take mm. i just say don't milk cows yeah and that's wrong don't milk any animal it's yeah. not about the cow being holy so when we even accidentally slip a bird like holy in there uh, there are people waiting, they're watching, they're waiting for you to make a mistake. They'll catch that one bird trauma and it into something that you will regret later. Yeah. So that's something I learned with my activism. Uh, in India also, I ha- there are a lot of hurdles for veganism, like practical hurdles. It's still a third world country where a lot of people actually lack access to basic food. Mm-hmm. So... As a vegan activist, as someone who is open-minded to both animal rights and human rights, I can see that the way we can achieve animal rights is by making people who can make the change, make the change. Right, right. So it becomes changeable for the people who can't do it at this point of time. So that is what my point of progressive thinking is. But to the non-vegan, to the anti-vegan, uh, their point of view would be like, So many people can't do this right now. So what you're doing is oppressive.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So even though we understand how it works, I think it is a task in itself to clearly explain it to them, to actually put it out in words and communicate effectively how you view it as. So I think uh, there, there there are some differences between the West and India.
0: And I think that also leads to a lot of activism geared towards enhancing accessibility, doing some political work and changing policy and all of that. But I know that the political scenes there can be a little tricky, to put it very, very lightly. (laughs) I mean, it is, every country has its own political drama, but uh, yeah, especially when religion and politics gets intertwined and it can be it's like the people that everybody is kind of yeah just
1: happy. yeah um, the beef ban for example in india um, it's just, yes can
0: you, so you talk much- about that because okay. there's a lot of misconception about what it means and they're like wow look look at the beef ban like that's amazing but it's actually rooted in human supremacy and oppression and religious superiority. So can like very briefly explain what that is?
1: Yeah. So I think the beef ban is oppressive to humans Mm -hmm. because it comes from a place where they say, since I view cows as holy, Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to eat cows. That is what the entire thing means. It does not mean that cows have rights, don't do it. Exactly. It does not mean animals have rights, don't do it.
0: Because if you're, if they have, if they find like other animal bodies in any transport truck, they're like okay. But if it's the body of a cow, mm-hmm. then it's like oh, then you know we're gonna give you a hard time. And I'm guessing buffaloes yeah. don't, are not within this ban, right? Are not included?
1: Yeah, as far as I'm aware, I don't think buffaloes are included. Wait, yeah, yeah, cow. buffaloes can be slaughtered. Buffaloes yeah. don't come under the beef ban. It's only only for cows.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: so it makes no sense to me at all and I don't see how it makes sense to others but it is just politics
2: sure.
1: they in order to gain the votes of a particular group of people yeah. they promote what is in their interest they don't want to see go- cows getting killed they don't want cows to be eaten because it hurts their religious sentiments
0: exactly not because they care about the cows
1: it's not because they care about the cows. It's because it's in their scriptures. Mm-hmm. They want to feel like a good Hindu. A mm-hmm. good Brahmin. So that's what they wanted to do. So that's where it is rooted on. And that is why I don't support the beef ban. Yeah. So that gives me a religious pain as well. I will ban all animal use. Not yeah. to just beef. Mm-hmm. But, but in, uh, I don't think the vast major population of India is ready to hear my opinions yet. They just yeah, yeah. going to fight over... Can I eat the cow or not?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Now it's, um. I know I often hear that when some people that I, within my family, they're trying to be like, oh, look, like this particular politician is, look at what he's doing for the cows. And I'm just like, because they know what I care about and I care about animal rights and animal liberation. And they think that I'm going to not have, a negative opinion on set political figure because of whatever this person is apparently doing to cows. And it's like, no, it has nothing to do with the well being of the cows. So because they, I think they light they it's co-opting what um a social justice message for a political agenda is it, it just does not sit well I, with me and I, i'm glad that you were able to clarify that that as a vegan animal rights activist why it's important that we don't support this exclusive beef ban which is just rooted in politics
1: and religion and superiority so it doesn't even help the cows themselves exactly the <laughs> industry still exists and yeah. they're still being sent to slaughter and they're mm-hmm. still being exported so it, it makes no difference in the context of animal rights.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make a difference to the cow at the end of the day, right? Um, so so I think we ha- must talk about the advocacy work you do, the speaking engagement, the group, the uh, peace group that you organized in, um, in Chennai and all the advocacy that you do because it is so inspiring. I'm sure listeners so far... Can understand how, uh, like they're they're hearing how eloquent and well thought your your answers, well thought out your answers are. So let's talk about how you put that into good use uh, with the work that you do.
1: So um, Chennai has a history with animal rights movements. here. there have been, uh, if I'm not wrong, a couple of organizations before my own. And I started. I do activism with them, but they got disbanded due to internal conflicts and uh, and I just had to start activism again. None of the old members were active again. The people who I actually looked up to, people who actually got me into the field, were not active anymore. So that was kind of disheartening. But um, I couldn't. I never really stopped speaking up for animals, and. Adam the animal activist that I saw making videos, the way he fights for animals. I got to know that there is actually a lot of room to speak of for animals. It's not as limited as we think. We just have to get out of our comfort zone to do it. And I was ready to do that, I guess. So I started picking vegans one by one from across via social media. Uh, I just checked, checked vegans that I found on social media. I asked them, do you want to do activism with me? We can. Do do this, that we can have a group, we can do online activism. And slowly, before I knew it, we had like 50 members, 60 members. Now it's a whooping 320. Oh my
0: gosh. That is amazing. Yeah,
1: we named, yeah, we have a full fledged vegan community in Chennai. Anyone who comes to Chennai uh, got themselves some company, friends, activism bottle, everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chennai is no longer. Uh, an alienated space for vegans. So we named the play the name, I named it Life, Liberation and Independence for Earthlings. Uh, I oh, sorry, uh, I called it
0: Peace. I'm sorry, it was Life,
1: sorry. Yeah, it's Life, Life, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Liberation and Independence for Earthlings. So uh, we uh, started gathering one by one. And here we are today, we do regular activism now. Even if I'm not there, activists take over. Activists from the past have actually started joining up again, new people start coming and I can actually see the progress and I'm very happy with what we have, even though I think we should be doing more, yeah. we have definitely come some way and I think a movement is only successful when we keep adding the numbers and not replace one group with another. Mm-hmm. So I'm not happy with how uh, we have new activists and a lot of old activists are missing I mean, we need every single voice in order to achieve animal liberation. We are already a handful. We should be exactly. together. Exactly. So I think um, I don't want to make the mistakes my predecessors did with their organization. So I want to um, run this one without those flaws. Mm-hmm. I just want to do what's best for animals.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: In the root. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to help animals in the end.
0: And what, what do you... Um... What kind of advocacy work are you involved in? Is it mostly university talks, or I've seen some of your interviews in some mainstream um, channels and um, in 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 Chennai as well. So how uh, how do those come to be, and how how do you seek out these opportunities? Do you get invited to come speak? Tell us about all that.
1: So I think, hands down, the most if. Effective form of activism is the university lecture. Mm. So, you know, the school lecture where you are given complete control over the stage and you get to take them through the process. I don't actually jump telling them, it's, yeah, do, do it animals? No, I take my time. I take my one hour. I talk to them about what they already believe in. I establish what they already believe in. I make them say it. I make them note down. And then I slowly come into animal rights, and I make it uh, a complaint of oppression rather than eating choices. So I make the message very clear. I show them the video. I ask them why can't you be vegan? I ask them what's stopping you? I try to be as motivating as possible. I don't want them to feel do this, but I want them to question why not? Why not? So that I've I've done probably some twenty lectures so far. And I'm, um, yeah, not a lot, but uh, I think it's the most effective yeah. form of activism. Uh, but the only thing is, it's not very easy to obtain these slots. Mm-hmm. So, it is, come on, it's animal rights. It's not something. Exactly, if you want to yeah. Hear. Yeah. So, it's not a technical thing. It's something that they only give you because if the teacher themselves is kind to animals, the person who you're coordinating with, they are interested in animals, they might give you. Yeah. Or if they are if they just want someone to talk, doesn't matter what topic they. Can <laughs> yeah. So other otherwise, otherwise they're very like reluctant. Um, they beat around the bush. They just keep putting it away, uh, and you you have to probably ask some dozen institutions so that you get one. Yeah. And um, that's understandable. much to match your timings. Like for example, sure. I can't go to the lecture if I have a exam on the exact same day which just happened with my last lecture right after we got it all planned i had an exam that day but they were kind enough to reschedule it to reschedule it for me for the next week but that's not it is the case every time so how i would like to improvise on this part is that i want more activists to go out there and speak at institutions so instead of one person going to a dozen institutions a year let a dozen activists go to a dozen institutions every year, like yeah. for each person. So that's how we can exponentially grow the movement. Exactly. So I want to train activists. I, t- I always take a couple of activists with me so, so that they can observe, they can yeah. get some points, how they can control the change, how they can effectively communicate with the students. So I take them for such purposes. And then there's public outreaches, of course. I think public outreaches are mostly for um, ourselves rather than yeah. non-vegans. I don't believe we are going to stand at a park once every week and make the go- world go vegan by talking to like 20 people. It's not going to happen. But only when we do public outreaches, we are showing the society that is there is resistance. This is not something that is going to go unquestioned. There are people who stand against this unapologetically. And we are ready to talk to you about it. And only when we talk to people, different people from different walks of life, do we we can train ourselves, we can equip ourselves better. Even even now we come across people who bring out new points. One in a blue moon, there's someone who comes up with something entirely new to vegan activists. And it makes us ponder upon the yeah. what should be the best answer for this. And I think it molds your entire thinking process the way you think your ability to come out with spontaneous answers yeah. to choose the best one at that right point of time so yeah uh, i think the outreach is for to train actors and then we do university events which is a little different from university lectures it is i say it as a combination of both public outreaches and university lectures so the target audience are students which is a win-win for us. They're definitely more open-minded than the elder generation, at least in uh, India. And then the way we view, we do activism. It is more like an outreach. Uh, we just had something innovative yeah. for the, um, to spike things up, like we sell dog meat, we give out screaming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the university, that, and in Tamil Nadu, at least in Tamil Nadu, dogs have a special place in a lot of students' Hard,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Dog and cat, so we 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 use that to give them the connection. Yeah, we give them some mock meat, make them eat it, ask them to guess what it is, and then we tell them it's dog meat. And then we do a uh, reverse psychology. I actually got this from Joey. We stand with banners saying there's nothing wrong with animal cruelty. Yeah,
2: yeah. And
1: people come up to us and argue that there is everything wrong with animal cruelty.
2: Yeah,
1: and then we bring them to what about the choices we make in our daily life and how that's actually affecting animals and then they can make a connection there and yeah so all of these uh, are tactics we adopt in Chennai so we have a few more planned maybe I'll uh, let you know on the next
0: yes (laughs) (laughs) definitely yeah I would love to keep talking to you about all this stuff and Okay, like, like going to town on her water now. So pardon the slurpy noises. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, you talked about a lot of great things. And we'll definitely be sure to include all of the information about your advocacy, maybe some links to some of Your talks, if you want to share those, we'll include that in the show notes as well.
1: More than happy to.
0: Yeah, and before we let you go, I know you're busy and you've got things to do and we're in a whole different time zone, so I won't keep you awake for too long. Um, i like to wrap up with this one question and what your vision for just an equitable vegan world looks like to you.
1: So my version of an ideal vegan world is um so when people like you know actually come up to you and tell you that big animals will go extinct if we don't take care of them? Oh yeah, yeah. Where but, are all the cows going? Yeah, to Yeah, if we don't them? breed them and if we don't use them, they're going to go extinct. Yeah, and that is a more important problem than the rights of millions mill- of animals getting violated the individual rights. So, but when. I look at it from an activist point of view, from this side of the line, I know people who run sanctuaries. right yeah. So there's Saivigdash, there's Jai and there are lots of vegan sanctuaries, there's Lelac Farm in Bangalore, there are a lot of sanctuaries where people put in so much effort in order to take care of so many animals, which is way out of their powers, you know? They've struggled yeah. so much. And the only thing I have to tell a non-vegan who asks me about, uh, when the entire world goes vegan. Mm-hmm. We are living in a non-vegan world where animals are abused with complete legal permissions mm-hmm. and there are people who take who do so much for the animals. Yeah. Can you imagine how much we can do for animals in a vegan world where everyone respects the rights of animals? Yeah. We There will not be any unnecessary suffering. Animals won't be oppressed anymore. No more cages, no more chains. Even... If there are only, let's say, five chickens alive in the entire world, the life they live without harm, without being enslaved, if they get to live their complete lifespan without being harmed, then that is what true liberation is. It is not having millions of chickens in this world only to die at 65 days old and end up at your tummy. That's not how it works. So... Animal liberation is not dependent on the number of animals we save, yes. but attaining obtaining rights, complete okay. rights for them. Yes. Yeah, where no one has to question your actions that affect animals. Mm-hmm. Every child should know okay. themselves this is wrong. Yeah, just the way they know. Yeah, you know, discriminating against women is wrong. Now we know body shaming is wrong. Yes. I used to body shame people for jokes like as a child.
2: Yeah, but true. then
1: as I became a teenager. And I started thinking about things deeply. Yeah. I can I, now I don't even laugh at body shaming jokes anymore, that's even cool. when it comes in a movie. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the kind of evolution I want to see in yeah. terms of animal rights. Yeah. Maybe two hundred years down the line, children will ask, "You used to eat animals?" Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. that that's the kind of vegan world I I want for the animals.
0: That's amazing. Well, thank you, Samaran, so much for taking the time. We appreciate you. Keep doing the good work and we're happy to support you in any way we can. That's
1: made a pleasure. It was all mine. Thank you.
0: I really hope you enjoyed that chat with Samaran. I sure did. I find it fascinating to learn about the similarities and nuances when engaging with communities across the globe when advocating for the animals. From busting myths about the holy status of cows to emphasizing the importance of centering animals when engaging in any outreach conversation, I think Samaran offers several key takeaway messages for our listeners. So if you are inspired by the work that he does and are curious to learn more, be sure to follow Samaran and the organization that he leads, Life, on social media. We will link all the information in the show notes. Please take a quick minute to rate and review the podcast. It helps others find it more easily. And the more people that find it, the more people can be inspired by the guests we have on our show, and turn that into actionable change for the animals. And if you're listening on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe. Our channel has educational workshops, talks, and so much inspiring and informative content that you do not want to miss out on. At AAM, it's important to us to offer our content and resources for free so that it is accessible to everybody. If you like the podcast and all that AAM has to offer and are able to support us, please consider a one-time donation or becoming a monthly patron. It helps keep us going. To make a donation, you can use our link tree, which you can find in our show notes. You can also keep up with AAM on social media, visit our bookshop, our merch store, and keep up with all the fun things that we have going on. One more reminder that you can sign up for a free mentor to help and guide you through your activism journey. Just go to our website, animalactivismmentorship.com. So if you needed a sign that you should be an activist for the animals, here you go. Now remember that it will take all of us to come together and collaborate to achieve animal liberation. So stay focused, be courageous, be perseverant, and keep doing your part. And most importantly, take care of yourselves. Until next time.